Welcome to the Big Screen Symposium podcast. This session is from the Big Screen Symposium held in Auckland on the 4th and 5th of December 2020. Film clips played at the live event have been edited out of the podcast. In this podcast, storyteller and film director Sebastian Lelio gives a masterclass on the film experience, conceived as a two-way dialogue between filmmaker and spectator. Sebastian uses examples from his Academy Award-winning feature film, A Fantastic Woman, to demonstrate ways a filmmaker can offer opportunities to a spectator to reframe how they see the world. This session is presented by Images and Sound. Sebastian is introduced by Script to Screen's Executive Director, Jackie Dennis. Kia ora koutou and welcome to the stage, the Executive Director of Script to Screen and the Program Director of the Big Screen Symposium. Jackie Dennis. Tēnei koutou katoa. It's my wonderful pleasure to be here at Big Screen Symposium, introducing Sebastian Lelio, who has stuck with us through two postponements. He emailed, you can count on me, Jackie. Go Big Screen Symposium. (laughs) It is disappointing that Sebastian can't be here in person as originally planned, but we are delighted that he's still with us virtually. I became aware of his work after seeing Gloria at the 2013 New Zealand International Film Festival, although Sebastian had already directed three successful feature films in Chile. Gloria is a film about a free-spirited older woman who loves clubbing and the realities of a whirlwind relationship she has with a man she meets when out dancing. After the film, a not-so-small group of free-spirited and, yes, older women stood at the front of the Civic Theatre talking about all the reasons we loved the film until well after the crowds had gone. In fact, there was one person in that group that I know, a screenwriter, who has seen the film ten times. <laughs> um, since then, Sebastian has made the Academy Award-winning Award A Fantastic Woman about a marginalised transgender nightclub singer facing the death of her older boyfriend, disobedience about a woman from an orthodox Jewish community exploring her sexuality, and Gloria Bell, an English-language version of Gloria, with Julianne Moore playing the lead. Narrative choices can be political acts. In this session entitled Filmmaker and Spectator, Sebastian will use a fantastic woman to demonstrate ways a filmmaker can offer opportunities to a spectator to reframe how they see the world. Please welcome again, Sebastian Lelio. Again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I assume you can hear me well. Um, So now, you know, English is not my native language, so I was like sweating, trying to... Um, make the, the first um, message fit into a seven minutes length. But now I think we have more than that so I can breathe. Um, so the idea is to talk about the, um, I would say, um, the political um, quality of gaze, of uh, film, the filmmaker's gaze and the spectator's gaze and how these two um, only united, um, only when united, create what we understand cinema is. Um, so at the at the beginning, I will try to give um, to share um, a little bit of uh, pre- preliminary ideas. Um, of course, this is this is a, an angle, a concept, a vision um, that I I find very useful. But in any case, it's uh, uh, it's my intention to necessarily convince anyone. It's just mainly sharing from my perspective, which is not academic, but uh, I'm mainly a, a maker, a filmmaker, a writer, uh, and that's where my main source of, uh, well, experience and let's say knowledge comes from, if any. Uh, if you hear any dogs or anything, it's they are real and around me, not mine. Um, so sorry in advance. Um, so, um, the spectator gaze and the filmmaker gaze, gaze is what really creates the, I would say, the phenomenon of cinema. In the game of cinema, um, the problem of gaze is central. Um, 
the relationship that is established between who sees and, and what is seen um, is crucial uh, because we see how the filmmaker has seen and um, but we do see that so the film always l looks us back look, looks back at us um, to me it's really interesting to think that a film doesn't really exist anywhere that is not really anywhere uh, not necessarily in the projector not in the ray of light not in the data uh, not really on the screen. Um, the, a film is a, a game of lights and shadows, or if you want, of zeros and ones, um, that is somehow decodified, uh, to use a quite technical word, um, that is uh, interpreted by, by the spectator uh, once he sees and hears, listens to the film. Uh, the relationship between the narrative machinery of a film and the percep perceptive uh, systems of the spectator um, evolves in a progressive way while the images are, are um, unfolding on time in front of us. So when the film is over, the film is still not anywhere, except uh, maybe in our memory, in our experience, because we see with our eyes, but also with our brain, with our memory, with our DNA. And I would say that we see with our bones too. Um, so the ways of narrating are not operating in the void, paradoxically, but in the relationship with our ways of perceiving. When someone says, for example, I went to see a, a very a, a great film, a powerful film, a, a deep film, um, I think it's in, in, in a great measure, meaning that that work was capable of touching and activating uh, an ancestral machinery, a perceptive machinery uh, that constitutes us. Constitutes us. Um, Chilean filmmaker Raúl Ruiz used to say used to aim for a tear uh, that appears in a moment that is absolutely unexpected and for reasons that we cannot fully understand. I think that description um, somehow defines what depth means in cinema. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the themes that are portrayed or explored, but more, I would say, with the intelligence that the film has to connect with the perceptive systems of the viewer. So a film cannot be fully immersive. Only our experience can be fully immersive. Our five senses are the one that really fully immerse uh, in, the, in, in a rich, the rich experience of watching a great film. So to me, the idea of projection, and I would say double projection or projection over projection is quite enlightening. Um, rays of light projected over a, a white screen or a silver screen where there is nothing really, uh, or again, data uh, lit from, be from behind, so to say, um, appeared as visual information and, 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 and sound information that we contemplate. Um, we project our own, again, projections, our own fantasies, dreams, fears, desires, on top of that uh, mother projection that is inviting us to collaborate. So it's a, it's, it's a dance, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a collaboration. We complete the process. Without us, um, and this is quite, I would say, probably uh, obvious, but without spectators, um, a film doesn't exist until someone sees it. Um, a little bit like um, in the end of uh, Death in Venice, if you remember that, um, Arsenbach 
um, the old the old man is uh, watching this angel-like boy um, Tatsuo walking towards the ocean. The sun is setting, and Mahler's uh, symphony um, fills, fills fills everything with with this with this oceanic feeling. And um, so we see that while he's dying, um, this this man is looking at Tatsio. And Tatsio, knowing that he's being seen, stops um, and points at something that is outside the frame. We never know what he's aiming at, but we are captivated because we are trapped in the in the process of completing, in the dance, we are forced, um, not to say invited, no, we are forced to, to feel the, what's missing with our own projection. Um, a little bit like my favorite void in the history of cinema, the black scar um, at the center of the screen in 2001, the, 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 the black monolith that now is uh, back into conversation because this monolith that they have found somewhere in the desert in the US. Um, there is nothing there. It's just a void. It's just an empty space. And we are, again, captured by it, projecting our own interiority um, on it, completing, uh, co-fantasizing with the cinematic device, uh, experiencing, I would say, pure cinema. Um, so again, to connect, um, again, with with personal experience and um, and with the film, with the film that um, I was talking about a little bit before, um, a fantastic woman. Um, I will later on show some clips for the. I'm sure many people ha hasn't seen it, but I hope um, that the general concepts that will be shared here make sense anyway. Make make sense anyway. Um, I. I, I really like to think that um, we we create we create um, we we inhabit in a in a world in a reality um, that whose limit it's deeply intimately related with what we are capable of really seeing, thinking, conceiving um, the limits maybe of language or for or of um, or of um, However, mysterious way we, um, or unknown way we um, we define what surrounds us, um, and knowing that that um, the the experience will always be limited. So, in in this sense, um, the political power of cinema has to do with that. Again, we could say dance between reality and whoever is gazing, whoever. Is, Whoever is experiencing it. So it's the idea that when we when we um, are capable of changing the way in which we look at things, uh, somehow the things we're looking at um, can start changing. Um, therefore, the very inherent political power of uh, of storytelling and uh, and therefore of filmmaking. Um, if uh, if you were so kind to to play the first clip, I think it would be a good moment, please. Mira, lo que yo necesito es constatar que tú no tienes lesiones. Yo si no tengo lesiones, entonces no hay ningún problema. So what I, what I'd like to do is um, talk about three moments in the process of making the film, writing it. Um, shooting it and then, um, yeah, editing it, um, that were somehow like milestones in the process. And I think this um, this can somehow allow allow you you to understand how organic the entire process was. Um, it was like following a like pulling a thread that was. Um, um, Taking us from the one one step to the next, while we were moving forward half blindly, so to say. So I was, uh, as I was um, um, telling you before, 
we were with my co-writer Gonzalo. We were playing around with the idea, with an idea. You know, what would happen if the person you love dies in your arms? But for some reason, um, that's a really problematic place for the other characters that surround the your your loved one, uh, because for for some reason you are rejected by them. Um, so we were trying different kind of kinds of characters and nothing really clicked. And um, I was living outside of Chile for almost like eight years. So I was, I was a bit disconnected from the changes that uh, were taking place in Chilean society and in my city, Santiago. Um, so so, so when, again, with, when the idea of what if this whole story is centered in a transgender woman's character appeared, um, uh, I freezed. I remember um, being very troubled um, because, well, I didn't feel I had enough authority. I still don't, uh, but I didn't know how to, how we were going to be able to find the right angle so we could feel authorized. To explore this properly and, and hopefully deeply, um, and um, I connected a lot with one of the with what one of the speakers said before. Uh, the most important thing is people, and uh, somehow that was the key here too. Um, so we arranged um, meetings with different trans transgender women in Santiago, and, and it was very revealing uh, to talk to them. And back then, I was I wasn't even sure I wanted to make the film. I was trying to understand if I if I was interested enough in making this this film in exploring um, this world. And um, so I was looking for for a a consultant, like a cultural consultant, someone that could help us along the way in case uh, in the case if. Um, if I was really interested in, in moving forward. And that's that's how they recommended us to meet Daniela Vega, um, who ended up being the, the, the main actress of the film. Uh, the entire film is on her, her shoulders and you just saw her. Um, so so we, we met with her as a way to try to shake up my own ignorance um, tried to get rid of the cliches that we were um, somehow operating with um, because somehow we were um, um, the image we have we had was um, depending a lot in the cultural representations that were quite insufficient back then um, still. Um, so I wasn't looking for an actress just for for advice, uh, but that but meeting Daniela really marked, uh, really really um, defined the project. After talking to her for for a couple of hours, I was not only um, fascinated by by her strength and her beautiful presence, uh, but I understood that I wanted to make the film, and that I that I I wasn't um, available to make it without. Uh, a transgender actress interpreting the role. Back then, I had no idea that she could be the one, but uh, this is, again, a way of sharing the process. Um, so I came back to Berlin, where I was living back then, and uh, we started talking to Daniela um, for like a year, and we became friends, and we learned to trust uh, one another. We, she never really knew what we were writing about, but she was very generous uh, sharing um, her intimacy and what being um, a transgender woman meant in a country like Chile. So the first, the first decision was to make this story about a transgender character, um, even though the story had nothing to do with transitioning. Um, that was somehow backstory for the character. She had given that battle won that battle, and now it was about something completely different. Um, and um, and the, the second moment that was um, very defining was um, somewhere in the middle of the writing process. Um, I was trying to, to find the right 
the right translation, formal translation of this to this character and to this person that I was um, becoming close to. Um, and, I, and I had a, a difficult time trying to, to find it. And that's where, when the idea of making a transgenre film in, in the sense of uh, cinem cinema genre about a transgender character uh, became, um, became quite solid. In Spanish, we use the same word for gender and genre. So we say transgenero. Uh, so I was making a, a transgenero film. And that really was um, quite liberating. Um, it was a, suddenly a way to, it, it, it was like the, the device of the film was elastic enough to really um, be able to hold many, many things, many different tonalities and expressive, expressive tonalities and to, to try to somehow work almost like, like, um, like a mosaic of, um, of uh, these visitations to different variations in terms of genre. Um, and this would also define the film. Um, so the, the identity of the film itself was going to be in flux, was going to be elusive, was going to resist being defined in one or two words. That was at least the plan. And that was the way for the film to, commun to communicate with, with its main character, with its subject or um, human being that was being contained, studied. Um, so a character that resisted being labeled and a film that was trying to resist being labeled. Um, the, the story was going to flirt with elements of melodrama, of, of uh, romance, of thriller. It was, it was going to be at times a ghost film, a character study, a film about a woman. And somehow this general fluidity, um, the, 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 this condition of the film, this uh, quality of the film, was going to be intimately um, related to Marina, which is the name of the main character. So the question that the film inherently seemed to contain, what is a woman, also gave up or was hiding another question within, which is what is a film? And, and that was my way to relate and to communicate with, with Daniela slash Marina um, as a filmmaker. Could we play the second clip, please? So the, yeah, the character looking here and there in the film, the character looks straight into the lens. Um, and um, I will soon try to connect that with, uh, with what I was trying to explain at the beginning, the somehow triangular relationship between um, the filmmaker's gaze, the character's gazes, and the, the viewer one. Um, so to talk about the third moment that was quite crucial in the process of making the film, um, by the end of the writing process, after like a year of, um, of work and of talking to, to Daniela, um, I was quite um, lost because um, I really didn't know um, how to deal with the casting problem, how to find uh, a transgender actress that was capable of uh, singing, uh, dancing, um, and uh, that, that had a strong presence on, on screen and um, that could um, carry the weight of the film like, like Marina does in the entire, through the entire length. Um, but suddenly I realized that, um, that maybe Daniela was that person. Um, so 
when a very first shareable version of the script was ready, um, I, I thought that our cultural advisor, already friend, um, Daniela, could, be, could really be the one to play Marina. Um, and that was really something that I wasn't um, in any way capable of uh, foreseeing how deeply that decision or gesture was going to was going to really define what the film um, was going to be. Um, so Danina had some acting experience. Um, she was a, a dedicated lyrical student, a lyrical singing student. Um, that's her voice. That's her singing, the one that you just just saw, um, and um, and and she had um, a great strength. I was I would I would say she was she was she is a force of nature, an artist. Um, so I sent her her the script um, with the question: Would you like to interpret Marina? Um, so Daniela wrote, um, read the script and called me back and, and thought I was completely insane. Um, she didn't know, I mean, she, she had very little experience, um, in front of the cameras. She had done, um, some music videos and some, uh, student film. Um, she didn't know how to drive. The character drives a lot. Um, and mainly she... She never, she, she never had the experience of uh, um, having such an absolute protagonistic role. Um, so she asked me to, 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 for some time to think. It, it took her three days. Um, and, and finally she accepted. Um, and somehow that really, I think because the camera, the camera knows uh, that in that body, in that face, uh, in those eyes, in those gestures, uh, there is a, a story, um, there are real experiences. And I think this um, um, somehow makes the entire experience of the film just more complex and, and richer. So after she said yes, of course, at the center of this game of artifice, of this combination of different genres of, of this uh, film that is not by any means trying to be documentary-like, um, but there is very contained and, and that somehow um, is quite palpable that everything is uh, due to decisions and to artifice again. At the center of that polymorphic, multi-tonal, um, kind of storytelling, there was um, a real heart beating now, uh, Daniela's. Um, so, just to briefly talk about some other aspect of the film. Um, in, in terms of, uh, of the subject, and again here, I would say, um, because we're talking about the relationship between spectator and filmmaker and the active participation of uh, the spectator, therefore the, the, the way in which the spectator is politically um, active and completing um, what the film is offering, um, this all, of course, resonate, I think. Um, because of the subject of the, of the film, because of the casting decision, because of the um, genre, fluid quality of the film, etc. Um, so, after the couple of years that the writing took, um, I could see how this subject, this theme, this reality that for us was relatively abstract at the beginning, apart from the people we got to know, um, was becoming more um, more present in the media, in um, you know, in public um, discussions, etc. Um, so back in two thousand and fourteen, when I, I was trying to 
understand, to grasp what the right aesthetical approach um, could be for, for the film, um, I realized that I was uh, somehow very influenced by, by an imaginary, an aesthetic that had a lot to do with films I had watched, watched coming, um, I mean, from made in the late 80s. Um, a, a, an aesthetic that had to do with a completely different world, much more marginalized and uh, extreme, I would say. And I, I felt that the people I was meeting um, didn't necessarily have anything to, to do with that reality. Um, so again, the ways of seeing um, becoming suddenly um, evidently um, a tradition or, or, um, or a set of ideas that, um, that, um, that belongs to a certain interpretation of what this reality can be. Um, therefore, limits, definitions, labels. Um, so somehow the mission of trying to at least expand, aesthetically expand, uh, what the experience of uh, seeing a film about a, a transgender character um, could be, was already um, a mission that felt uh, very tired and uh, like a, like um, a big responsibility. Um, so my feeling that the only way to make a film like this was back then with the raw aesthetic of uh, social realism, so to say. So handheld camera, uh, following the character from behind, um, very like raw lightning, lightning and, um, and that um, kind of like uh, rough edges type of narration. And um, out of, uh, of course, intuition, I thought, why not taking the absolute opposite direction and try to make the experience of, of watching a fantastic woman uh, an experience that is that can be hopefully fully immersive, which color palette had nothing to do with this, um, with what I'm just describing, uh, which calligraphy uh, could offer a completely different experience. Um, which the way it's, the way it sounded uh, could could feel also like a like a different planet, and uh, this wasn't just for the sake of uh, doing something different, but again to provide um, to offer the spectator a kind of dance that could invite them to project different projections to project different um, images, desires, fears, and fantasies uh, on top of what this film was offering. If, as, as, as we know, if you keep doing the same thing, you obtain the same results. Um, so here, the, I, I, I was always very aware that there was something very political in the color palette, for example, and the softness and the way in which the camera tended to be quite still or always like moving or floating as opposed to, again, a very like rough kind of approach. Um, so trying to um, deviate from that, let's say, we could say tradition, we could say set of ideas, ideological kind of representation, um, just to see where we could, until which point uh, we could push with the help of Daniela, um, the limits of this dance with the spectator. Um, so I as I was trying to, 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 to tell you before, um, when the film started, um, there was a huge resistance um, in, in Chilean society uh, to, to any kind of uh, openness towards this subject. Um, but because um, the film had like a 
a whole good year to um, do its its um, its path and uh, to um, luckily it, it obtained a lot of um, adherence and recognition and support. Um, somehow the discussion here was re reactivated, and uh, and a year after that, when the film was released here, um, before the the lucky accident of the Oscar, uh, the temperature of the discussion had changed because the, 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 there was time for people to, um, again, to discuss, to read columns, to, um, to get into fights or to read or to get informed. So I would say there was a process of, a very natural process of education and when the film was released, and after and after the the Oscar, that was uh, somehow um, because it never happened before, quite an, a thing here or an important cultural moment. Um, the 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 land, you know, was more fertile. The openness was bigger, um, and somehow there was kind of like a, a synchronicity. With what what the film was intuiting and uh, was grasping, um, maybe right before there were enough concepts or ling linguistic tools to even commonly talk about this. I think now that has changed a lot. And uh, as a witness, as a as a friend, as a um, someone that has had the opportunity to um, to try to learn as I go. Um, I, I can I can sense um, that there is a, an important cultural change, um, and I would say that that made the the way for the film a bit smoother. Um, so before moving to the next clip. Um, I would like love to go back to the this idea of uh, triangular dance or triangular game between between these three gazes that meet, you know, um, the filmmakers looking at the spectator, the characters, the characters looking at each other, and um, and the film looking at looking at us, um, a little bit like what becomes evident like at the end of the previous clip when the, the, the character is literally looking at us. Then I would say the triangular game is uh, um, literally completed. But before that, it's, it's always operating. That's at, at least how, I, how it's very useful for me to think about it. Um, so the, 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 the virtuous um, process, um, it's only completed when the film is seen by that um, pending projection that is that the film is waiting to to receive. You know the 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 inner projection of the spectator that is overprojected upon the one that the let's say the filmmaker offers. Um, so um, I. It was useful to me while writing the film to imagine a spectator watching it and observing um, the way in which the other characters re related to each other and looked at each other and having time to shift between the different secondary characters that are looking uh, at Marina, the main character, and that are um, literally defining her, naming her, um, insulting her, um, or many other ways of labeling someone. So I, uh, it was useful to me to think that a spectator, regardless of his or her um, political position or where in the political spectrum they could feel comfortable, um, they would all have the chance to identify with different uh, kind of reactions towards Marina. They could feel more 
shocked maybe at the people that were too violent to her, or maybe not. Maybe they could feel strangely um, agreeing or literally just agreeing. Who knows? I mean, that's the freedom of uh, existing. And I wanted the film to have that space for everyone to, to be able to, to move within um, and to hopefully get lost in the, the dance, in the game, and to suddenly being um, asked by the film or maybe by the main character looking directly into the lens. You've been seeing what others see on me, uh, how others define me. What do you see? Um, others throw on me different projections. What are you projecting on me? Um, what is, you, you, you've had time to see many moral perspectives around me. What is yours? And I think, hopefully, if the film is capable of doing this, I think it's, again, in, in synchrony with this idea that um, the spectator gaze is active, the spectator gaze is political, the spectator gaze completes the film, and somehow um, it belongs to a um, hierarchy, to a domain that the film can never uh, subjugate. It is a place of ultimate freedom uh, of the viewer. Um, so being that said, um, what I wanted is that towards the end of the film, this room that the film hopefully, the, the cinematic device hopefully, hopefully was able to create, um, could allow for the people, for the spectator that was finding some kind of uh, organic, natural, spontaneous connection to the character, um, that possibility of expanding the limits of his, her own empathy. If they didn't want to, that's okay. But if they wanted to, uh, the film was going to offer that possibility of really connecting, not from an intellectual level, at an intellectual level, but emotionally from a place that hopefully is, escapes um, a more cold, um, let's say, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to say intellectual approach. So if the film was capable of um, making the spectator deeply emotionally connect with Marina, then how could that be questioned in terms of that what they were watching, they were, they were, they were seeing was not only a woman, but a completely legitimate human being. Um, so I wanted that to be a real possibility and that's why at the end the film offers this um, uh, kind of like, um, again, dance to use that, that word. Um, so if you want to dance with the film in those terms, the film will dance back with you. Um, that's why I think frustrates me a little bit about the fact that no one really understood the implications of the title. I think that's my mistake because um, a fantastic woman is quite um, it has a, it's a it's title that, ha that has a lot of energy and is it's, it's not easy to to see that there is still an openness to it because um, the word fantastic means at the same time two things. And I would love for the spectator to decide in which way she is fantastic. Um, in the way of uh, someone that has extraordinary qualities or in the way um, of uh, someone that is the product of fantasy. Of course, the film believes in one of those two. Uh, but I wanted the title to be somehow like a question. Um, but that didn't really work. But it, at least it helped me to, to, to navigate um, along the way. Um, I tend to think that um, 
good filmmaking um, and and good cinema passages, they feel more like questions than like answers. Um, and in that in that sense, the title was trying to connect with that attitude. Um, so, because of the way in which the story is um, articulated, Marina is the center of all of everyone's uh, gazes and looks. Um, we see how she is perceived by others, and and suddenly the film looks back at us, like I said. Um, and um, to connect with this, let's please um, move into the next clip, which I think shows um, what I was talking um, or sharing with you about this uh, multi-genre um, quality of the film or um, identity of the film. And at the same time, the, the this element, this device of uh, closing the circle or the triangle with um, with with having the main character um, gazing back at us. Um, they are telling me that it seems that there are many questions. So if um, the team is okay, um, I'd be happy to to move to that um, section. That's okay. Yeah, thanks, Sebastian. I'm looking at him okay. here while you're watching him there. So the most popular question at the moment is, did you ever doubt your ability to tell the right story? Sorry, the ability or right to tell the story? And if so, why? Um, I did after making it um, because... I would say that um, the notions of the political dangers of uh, of this kind of re representation uh, became public domain. I would say at the same time uh, that the Me Too exploded and there was this huge cultural shift that we are still experiencing. So I would say I was half innocent, half naive, and I, I always felt that my moral authorization was my genuine interest and love and preoccupation and, and caring for Daniela. And that she was my way in, but not, not as a way to use her. It was our way in to this artifice, which is not her life or my life, um, which is something else. Um, I, I, I think that um, when you make something publicly um, as an artist, you have to be ready to, to be crucified if you deserve it. Um, but then um, being that said, I think no one should be impeached of uh, representing no one else. Um, otherwise it would feel very restrictive and I, I'm not sure that's a society I would love to be creating in. Thank you. As the spectator is part of the completion of the film, can you talk about the different responses the film has received from different audiences and cultures? Yeah, I mean, when um, while writing it and then right before releasing it in different countries, I always felt, oh, is this something that maybe is um, urgent and relevant and uh, and um, and very alive as a problem, as a challenge for um, society like the, the like Chile society or like a Latin American society, but not so much more developed countries or richest, richer countries. Uh, and to my surprise, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was very alive um, everywhere we went. Of course, we found uh, friction, but uh, who doesn't? But we mainly found 
um, support. And, and that's something that is hard to plan, that you can only witness after, after it happens. So it was, um, yeah, it, it was very um, touching for all the team because we never thought that the film was going to have all this life and, uh, and uh, has a, such a, have, have such a vibrant life. I have no idea. Yeah, it was the assurance, I suppose, that it's a universal theme. Did you ever doubt... Oh, I've covered that one. Um, you've made two features in one year, Disobedience and A Fantastic Woman. You must really deeply love the process, no matter how taxing. What aspect do you love most? I would say don't repeat that at home, because it's not very recommendable to make two films in one year. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, having the chance, I couldn't say no, you know, because making films is difficult everywhere, especially, um, um, in a country like Chile. Um, I love, I love, um, for me, the hardest stage is writing, um, because everything is possible. And, uh, because writing, I think is, a is a process that confronts you with the worst side of you, with all those voices that tell you what should be done, what good taste is, what, what things are not recommendable because they are this or that and all these manners that are just the worst enemy that you have to overcome every time again and again when you face the process of writing. But then, I deeply enjoy when once that is somehow tamed and you have tamed yourself and the idea <laughs> has merged independently of use, let's say. And that's really re rewarding. And at least, at least to me, that really gives me a lot of uh, energy. So after that, I can kill for, for an idea. You know, I have thought about everything and I have um, enough energy to go and, and, and make it happen. Um, shooting is always beautiful and painful, um, and then editing is um, is uh, is like writing again. But uh, that's where the ultimate magic happens or not, and it's really wonderful when things click. And by by the power of language, uh, the pieces connect, resonate, and and elevate and lift off, you know, that's something difficult to, to describe, but it's really, it pays off. And so what you're saying is the combination of them all that you enjoy. Yeah, I enjoy and suffer, but I, <laughs> I'm very grateful of. Were you able to concentrate on each of those films, you know, singularly, or were you across both of them at one mm. time? No, while writing, I was um, dealing with, I could, yeah, like now, for example, I'm dealing with um, working in three different mm. script projects. So um, I, I, I love to co-write, so I have different co-writers I'm working with, and that's really great, uh, great, uh, because um, I, I don't think in life we get the chance to really have all these moments together to really talk and and and, and go deep around a subject and to connect, deeply connect. Um, by the end of a, a co-writing process, you have a, a very private and unique and rich nomenclature with the other person mm. that is exclusively related to, to the project and that somehow uh, it's like a testament of the, to the um, many hours invested, no? Human hours invested. Um, yeah, but um, but then once I'm filming, I cannot. That that it's impossible to think about anything else. I mean, making a film, shooting, it's really absolutely absorbing, and mm. I I don't have the capacity to really like get home at night and open the other, you know, project and see how it's going. I don't no. think anyone else does either. Um, what mistakes do you think you made, and? What would you do differently if you could do it again? And this is relevant to a fantastic woman. I am guessing, yes. 
Uh, well, that's, I, I don't know if the, this is the word in English, but in Spanish we would say Ukraine, Ukraine. It's, a, it's an exercise that makes you, puts you in a, in a, in a supposition, in a, in a, um, that makes you ponder what would have happened if, but that's not what happened. That's not what happened. So I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's always kind of painful, painful to see a film that is already done because you just see mistakes and things that could have been better, you know, controlled or, or tamed or, um, so I would say it's about the next one and, and how you will apply what whatever get? didn't completely work in yeah. the previous one. To the next one, yeah. How did you make sure that the rest of your cast, crew and production team had a shared ethical approach and understanding of the film prior to production? Intuitively, I don't know if I really managed to have that right. Uh, I'm much more aware now of that need that um, can be reflected in all aspects of production. Mm. Back then in 2016, I wasn't still absolutely aware of, um, of um, up to which level you can really decide to aim in that direction. Um, which is something I'm really looking forward to to explore now. Uh, but I'd say in the same way as before, you know, there is, when things are going wrong, we all can feel it and just paying attention to, to that common sense. Um, I think we managed to succeed because of what I've heard from the team and especially from Daniela, but... Um, I'm looking forward to to do it more with more awareness the next time. Are you thinking through conversation? Is that what you mean? No, I mean, for example, I'm one of the projects I'm doing um, is aiming to be paritarian, for example. I would love it to be balanced in terms of uh, gender um, or try try to aim in that direction. And I think that um, um, reflects, will reflect in, in many other um, subtle aspects of the film. Yes, yeah. 50% women. <laughs> like our new constitution. Yeah. <laughs> will be, will be paritarian. Um, can you talk about your use of music and the fact that Marina or Daniela um, as a singer, from a storytelling point of view? Mm. Well, I, um, I love using music, use music in films. It's one of the things I enjoy, like I deeply enjoy. Um, now that you mentioned Gloria, Gloria is like a hidden undercover musical. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and somehow a fantastic woman is too. And, in some ways, you know, the character is a very musical character too. And I think it's just a way to smuggle things I love and, and, and the energy, you can, you can borrow it or steal it and use it and, and, uh, and um, take it into new directions. It's like energy that you, that you add on top of uh, what you're building. There's a timer going here, but we definitely have time for another question. There's quite a few here, um, but I'm going with the ones that have been voted up. This is something that the audience can do, tell me which questions they like best. So for the last question, um, how has Daniela's life been affected by being a part of this film? Um, well, I don't want to speak for her, but uh, seeing it from outside, there is a, an objective thing to say is that um, she's working a lot. Uh, she's been called to many, many um, films, TV series, theater plays. She hasn't stopped since then. And I think that has been um, something that I'm, I'm very 
grateful of and, and, and proud of. And it's, it's been uh, intense for Daniela, but I know she loves her work. So I'm, I know that she's happy, but it's been, to say the least, uh, life altering for, for all of us. And uh, especially for Daniela, that was always at the center of, uh, of the entire project. She's, you know, the soul of the project and she has carried that um, many, many, now a couple of years after the film's release. She will always be a, somehow like a graceful, virtuous ambassador to what we did, you know, somehow. She's the soul, the heart, and the voice in that film. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's it. But I look, it's so disappointing that you're not actually here. We had the flight booked and we thought maybe we could wander out yeah. and have lunch together and you could be here for other sessions. And we're just so pleased that you wanted to tune in and listen to the other keynote addresses. Sebastian wanted to go last so he could hear everybody else speak. Um, it's just been a real pleasure having you a part of the Big Screen Symposium and we can't thank you enough. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me and all the rest of what's coming. We'll still thank try you. and get you down to New Zealand. <laughs> I would love to. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Sebastian. The Big Screen Symposium 2020 was brought to you by Script to Screen and J&A Productions. We gratefully thank our event partners, the New Zealand Film Commission, New Zealand On Air, Te Mangai Paho, Images and Sound, Screen Auckland and AUT. Voiceover is by me, La Lena Faunati, and music by Poddington Bear. 